spent a lot of time over the last several months crying out to God. And I mean literally crying when I'm crying out to Him. Grieved in my heart over the state of our nation, a nation that has long been in rebellion to the Lord. A nation which over the last several decades seems to look at the Bible, sees what it says, and makes law and court opinion completely opposite to the Word of God. I see an arrogant people here in America who are obviously devoid of history or understanding the nature of man and arrogantly think like so many before them that their wealth in science, their wealth in technology can conquer all. That we're all good. That they have no need of God or his ways. They know better than him. They're smarter than God. That is the arrogance of man. And the rebellion has all come home to roost. The whirlwind is upon Americans, and still most don't see it for what it is. And even many Christians are indifferent to it all, even to this day, either because of their own worldliness or because they are chalking it all up to their prophecy charts that, hey, we're about to leave. But in the midst of this situation, I pray. I weep, I cry, but I pray. I do so because I know from Scripture and history that the judgment of God on a nation is a great and terrible thing. No one escapes its consequence. And our nation is deserving of his just wrath. And yet in the midst of all this, God has granted men access to himself to pray. Remember when Christ died on the cross? The veil was written to, from the top to the bottom, the scriptures say, showing me all, everyone, now has access to the Father. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies. Now all men are able to go. Remember, God originally wanted to meet with all the peoples. They gathered at the mountain. The people didn't like it, and they said, Oh, you go and meet for now on with God, Moses. We don't want to do that. And haven't we met people in our own days as we've lived, right? They don't want to live for God, submit to God, but they'll ask you, Hey, I know you're a religious person. Can you pray for me? Right? They always want a priest, but God wants us to meet with him. We're a kingdom of priests, priesthood of all believers. Amen? When that veil was rent in two, remember this was in the temple, it was 60 feet tall. The rabbi said it was a hand's breadth thick. They said you could put 200 yoke of oxen on either end, drive them in opposite directions, and it wouldn't tear. God rent that veil in two. From the top down to the bottom, signifying that all now have access to him through his son, Jesus Christ, because of his sacrificial protritory work at Calvary. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... All have access to him now. In the Old Testament, the high priest would take the blood of the lamb, sprinkle it before the veil, 
seven times and then enter in. The blood of Jesus has given all access to the Father. <clears throat> to meet with Him, to petition Him, to pray, to commune with Him. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, namely Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full strength of faith. All now have access to Him. You repent, turn from your sin, believe in Christ, you get to meet with the Father. All believers can meet with the Father. Not just one dude named the high priest. So God has granted this grand access to himself, but Christians seem to spend so little time in prayer, meeting with him, petitioning him. And this goes to the first matter we want to address this morning, namely, why do Christians pray so little? So few take time to petition him in prayer. I myself have been guilty of this. And I have witnessed over my years how men, and even at times in my own life, men do not petition God as they should. They do not meet with Him to make their requests known to Him. And I believe one of the great causes of this is unanswered prayer. What's perceived as unanswered prayer. We read verses like Mark 11:24, where it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. 1 John 5:15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Another example would be Matthew 7, verses 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the Christian reads these types of scriptures, and he kneels down to pray, and he makes his petitions known. And then God doesn't answer. The negative impact that the Christian experiences when this happens is compounded by the phony ministers that abound in America. The phony ministers like to game people with these verses. They teach people that they just need to parrot and confess these verses, and you will have God's arm behind his own back. He has to listen to you. He has to answer you and give you what you want. And such ministers are a dime a dozen. And isn't it amazing how most of them end up on TV and radio? The very caricatures we have to overcome when we go out to minister at the universities and on the streets and at the halls of the legislature and the judiciary and on and on. 
their awful form of Christianity is what we're painted with. And their plan is foolproof to gain naive, dopey Christians into believing such things. Because if you don't get what you want, it's because of your lack of faith. The phonies are seen as teaching truth. You can get what you want. And if you don't, you're the reason why you didn't get it. Not them. It's a foolproof plan for these hucksters. The phonies reduce God to a genie in a bottle with unlimited wishes, not just three. So with all this baggage, the Christian kneels down to pray, and when there's something he wants really bad, whether it's that Tesla, notice I've updated that from the Cadillac, <laughs> whether it's the Tesla with the tinted windshield, or mom or dad being cured so they don't die, Whatever it is, even if it's something like an abortion clinic being shut down, so little preborn babies are no longer murdered, and the Christian petitions the Lord, and it does not come to pass, this causes him to no longer want to petition the Lord. They did not get what they wanted. They still love the Lord. They still want to live for Him. They just no longer want to be let down. They no longer truly trust Him. Rather than be let down again, they simply no longer ask. They no longer pray. They come to the conclusion, whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. They draw back from meeting with Him and petitioning Him with their needs the needs of others, and the needs of this nation. And are they right for such thinking? No. They are absolutely not right for such thinking. They have simply misunderstood prayer. They have simply viewed God as a genie in a bottle. He may not want you to have a Tesla. There are other cars. He may want to take your mom or dad home to himself. I mean, people do die. You may have noticed that. It's amazing to me how sometimes I see people, their parents in their 80s and 90s, and they're distraught that they're dying, desperate for them to get well, and on and on. And it's one thing to have concern and to pray, but there's something different about being distraught. Do you expect this person never to go to be with the Lord? You should grieve, your heart broken, no. But to be distraught? They're a Christian, they're going to be with Christ, amen? He may want to take them home to himself. He may want you to actually take action yourself on behalf of your preborn neighbor. We live in a fallen world. We don't get to just walk around and sprinkle fairy dust, and then everything is okay everywhere, and evil ceases to exist. 
Or one of these hucksters one time rebuked Satan out of America. What? <laughs> Prayer does not negate our duties as men. Prayer does not negate our duties as men. And the Lord has a long list of duties for us as Christian men and women. Amen. It is important that we pray according to God's will, that we not just view God as the genie in the bottle, but that we pray according to His will. The scriptures are clear on this repetitively. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 7. I just want to look at four of them. John 15, verse 7. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 7. Christ says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Notice if you ask when you abide in him, and his words, which reveal his will, abide in you. Amen. And what about that verse? Turn to 1 John, chapter 5. Remember that verse we looked at earlier? Verse 15, 1 John, chapter 5, verse 15, where it said, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Look at the verse before it, verse, for, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Amen? And then verse 15 is declared. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Christ is teaching his followers how to pray. And it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, that's right, to here, to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must pray according to God's will. We must live according to God's will. And Christ himself exemplified this matter of praying according to the will of God. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And verse 39 says, Jesus went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Amen. So a prime reason people often do not pray is because of unanswered prayer. But we must realize His will is paramount. Prayer is not you ordering the sovereign around for your desires and whims and expectations. Prayer is not the tail wagging the dog. His will is paramount. We should do our best to conform our thoughts to His Word. 
So we pray according to His will. But even then, He is the Sovereign. This is why men clothed in humility, men who have laid down their arrogance of being smarter than God, often end their prayers by saying, Nevertheless, may your will be done. Because humble men understand they do not see the whole picture, and He is the Sovereign. Amen? Important stuff. And now the seeming paradox. We discussed why do Christians pray so little. But now let's consider the second matter. Why do Christians, why does American Christianity, foment a preoccupation with prayer? Let's consider that. American Christianity has a preoccupation with prayer. Let me assert that first off. You may have noticed it if you've been a Christian for any amount of time. Prayer takes preeminence over any act. Anything. Prayer, prayer, prayer. American Christianity has a preoccupation with it. American Christianity puts prayer on a pedestal. Though most Christians pray precious little, although it does increase during times of trouble, they like to give prayer a place of eminence. Christians pray little, but they like to give it a place of eminence. Why? Let me begin by stating this first. Prayer is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is not the be-all and end-all of Christian life, as American Christendom has made it out to be. Prayer is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is not the be-all and end-all of Christian life. And here is why many in American Christianity have given it undue prominence. Listen to me now. This is why American Christianity has given prayer undue prominence. Because for some, it provides excuse not to act. For others, because it provides justification for indifference to evil in the land. And still for others, because it provides cover for cowardice. Gives the veneer of being spiritual while neglecting one's duty as a Christian man or woman. As a churchman who's been involved in much action on behalf of the preborn over my lifetime, I have encountered again and again those who I inform about the horror of abortion who simply respond by saying, I believe we should just pray to end abortion. And they feel so spiritual about that. I don't carry a sign. I don't go out and talk to anybody. I don't write letters to legislate. I pray about that. This is known as false piety. False piety is where you take one thing of God and use it as an excuse not to do another thing which is of God. That's what false piety is. It's like saying, I will pray that abortion ends, but I won't act on behalf of my neighbor in need. And Christ addressed such thinking, didn't he? The parable of the Good Samaritan. When you see someone in need, you act to help them. You don't pass by on the other side of the road, and you don't use prayer as an excuse for your inaction and your indifference. Prayer is made big 
by American Christians because it provides them an opportunity to neglect their duty. Prayer is made big by American Christians because it provides them opportunity to neglect their duty and to demonstrate actual love on behalf of their neighbor. C.T. Studd, the well-known missionary to Africa, said over a hundred years ago, he said, We Christians too often substitute prayer for playing the game. Prayer is good, but when used as a substitute for obedience, but when used as a substitute for obedience, it is nothing but a blatant hypocrisy, a despicable Phariseeism. And he is right. I refer to this idea that we should just pray as the prayer heresy. The prayer heresy. For instance, Jesus didn't teach us to just pray that men would be fed. He taught us to feed them. He didn't teach us to just pray that they would be clothed. He taught us to clothe them. He didn't teach us to just pray for those who were imprisoned. He called upon us to visit them. He didn't call us to just pray that people will get saved. He calls us to preach the gospel to them. He didn't call us just to pray that preborn babies won't be butchered. He calls upon us to intervene for them. Amen. We should not be like the phony religious, the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side of the road. American Christians like to use prayer as a substitute for obedience to Christ. And it is with awful consequence. It is with awful consequence that Christians have made prayer a tool to neglect their duty regarding their fellow man. Let me give you just one biblical example of this, and there are many. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. The book of Isaiah chapter 1. And I want you to look at verse 15. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. The Lord says to the prophet, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. They're praying like crazy, and God's not listening, because they're not doing those things which are dear to his heart. And he goes out and lays out what some of those I, what those, some of those things are that are dear to his heart in the very next two verses. Verse 16 and 17, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Amen? Two things that are massively important we see here. One is that we purify our lives. Verse 16. Holiness matters. And when you see judgment in the land like we have in our day, 
Put your face low to the ground. Cry out to Him. Get up from your place of prayer and live the life He's called you to lead. Number one, purify our lives. Holiness matters. And number two, we must act. We must be doers of the word. We must do those things which are dear to his heart, some of which he mentions in verse 17. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. We've been involved in this here at Mercy Seat for many years, doing those very things, rebuking the oppressor even now as he tries to unfold his evil plot, his worldwide evil plot, with his little masking and social distancing and all their nonsense. That's why we go out with the sign saying we will rally to and help people who have been tyrannized by health officials or city officials or county officials. This whole matter of prayer, here's what I learned of it. Many try to make it an either or, but it's a both and. You pray and you act. You pray and you act. You pray and you act. And what I learned from my life is this. When you act, you see much more reason to pray. You understand he is the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing without him, you're utterly dependent upon him. Understand? If you live the little fuzzy American life, the little fuzzy American Christian life, you won't understand the importance of prayer. If you act, if you do those things which are dear to his heart, get involved in a fight against evil. You will see how important prayer is. It will make you into a man and woman of prayer. In summary, it's important that we pray according to God's will, and it's important we do not use prayer as a substitute for our duties as men. And having said all that, I exhort you now and say, Pray! Pray! And I could go through about 50 verses here, which encourage you to pray. I just want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Pray, brothers and sisters. Prayer is important. That time alone with God is important. Great things are birthed in your life in those times alone in prayer with the Lord. Or gathering with others who just want to cry out to Him. No agenda up their spiritual sleeves. Nothing except we need you. Amen. This whole matter of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate birthed in prayer. Gathering in homes for months, simply praying, crying out to God, and that's where it was birthed in the midst of that. That a book needed to be written, that a website needed to be established, that the Christians, the people of America, and the magistrates of our land need to understand this doctrine, this biblical doctrine of the doctrinalism. 
First, in prayer. Prayer is massively important. And so I say to you, pray. Be men and women of prayer. Understand what part prayer plays in the Christian life, in the grand scheme of things here on planet Earth regarding God's kingdom. Amen. May Christ be praised. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.